All right, we've been teaching for six weeks on uh, the concept of judgment, divine judgment, which is both can be positive and negative. We know that uh, in order to be rewarded or to get the gold medal or to get the valid Victorian, you have to be judged. And so that's positive judgment. And at the same time, I think what we're most familiar with is negative judgment, where we are punished, reprimanded, condemned, damned, evicted, excommunicated, sentenced, imprisoned. That's what we are familiar with. So we're looking at all these different concepts of judgment. Uh, the world, especially the West, especially academia, especially the millennial generation, and especially perverts, they seem to be very allergic to judgment when it shows them how wrong they are in the eyes of God. And yet, uh, without judgment, we can't be rewarded. We can't be promoted. So we have to take the good, the bad, and the ugly. If you want the gold medal, you have to endure a coach chewing you out for 15 years. It's the price you pay, but when you stand on that Bema seat, which is an Olympic term, which is also the Bema seat of Christ, the judgment seat of Christ, you're going to be so thankful you let that coach yell at you, critique you, take time from you, make you do more, make you do this, push yourself, have no compassion on your bloody knuckles, bloody toes, bloody elbows, bloody chin. You're going to be thankful because you're standing there with a the gold medal. If you're allergic to judgment, when you are in athletics, you will never see any kind of reward or award. If you're allergic to judgment as an academic or a student, you'll never be promoted. You'll never prosper. If you're allergic to judgment as an employee, you'll be living under a bridge. And so with judgment, we take the good, the bad, and the ugly. Amen. So this is opening up uh, a subject we're calling passive judgment. And as I've said, we're kind of working out a, a working theory, a working model or a concept on judgment. We have covered active judgment, which is the kind we are all familiar with, which is the instantaneous smiting of God. Sodom and Gomorrah was active judgment. Um, Noah's Ark and the flood, active judgment. Jesus cursing the fig tree, active judgment. That, but that brings us to this concept of passive judgment. And so what we want to do is kind of begin to introduce that. We may have two or three parts on this. And so uh, let me look at this here. It says, previously, we have studied positive judgment, negative judgment, and active judgment. We define active judgment as the wrath of God being kindled against a person or people in an act of demotion, abandonment, or destruction. Not all active judgment is lethal. Uh, demotion could be active judgment. It doesn't mean it kills you. Sodom and Gomorrah was lethal judgment. But maybe being stripped of power or authority, or being demoted, that's, that's non-lethal active judgment. And so in this lesson, we're going to look at the concept of passive judgment, which most of us live here. We live in arenas or circles of passive judgment. This may be one of the most eye-opening things you probably will have heard in a long time, though I think when we're done with this morning Sunday school, you'll say, that just makes so much sense. That's just a big fat duh. Just duh. And honestly, these are things I've believed for a long time, but sitting down to study these out and put it to paper, I didn't realize how much biblical evidence there was supporting this concept. And once we're done with this this morning, I think we're going to be a lot more cautious and a lot less cavalier. You can't just go live any way you want to and expect God to bless you. Uh, I just heard a preacher yesterday say, um, everybody wants to be, uh, oh, they, wanna, they, wanna, they want God to be on their side. You don't want God to be on your side. You want to be on God's side. Hillary Clinton was real famous for saying, I want to be on the right side of history. 
I thought, you're going to hell, lady. I don't want to be on the right side of history. I want to be on the right side of God. Amen. Amen. So passive judgment, we will define passive judgment as the calamity, chaos, frustration, and destruction that befalls a person or people when God's defense is removed from them. God's defense is removed, and passive judgment is everything that rushes in. It's not active. It's not God actively smiting. It's not God sending hellfire and brimstone. It's not God smiting with the angel of death. It's not God parting the Red Sea and then allowing it to collapse on Pharaoh and his army. It's just God taking his hand off, and the world and its chaos and its darkness gets to do what it's been wanting to do to you anyway. This isn't the active, violent hand of God against a person or people, but rather a ramping up of the chaos that rushes in to fill the void left when God withdraws his goodness, favor, and defense. If you've ever fallen out of favor and observed life begin to deteriorate on all fronts, it is possible you are experiencing passive judgment. Uh, I, even as I've been writing and studying these things, I'm realizing there's more lessons I've got to write. One of those is what I'll call passive promotion. And that when you serve God, your life just gets brighter and brighter like the perfect day. It isn't like a and promotion. It's just you just keep getting better and better. People even say, you guys are just so lucky. It's just like your life is charmed. They'll use all sorts of pagan terms and you'll say, no, that's the passive promotions of God on me. I just live, live for God. And when my ways please him, he makes even my enemies to be at peace with me. See, that's passive promotion. Passive judgment is things just start falling apart, deteriorating because you've walked away from God and he said, fine, do it your way. And you can for a short season and then you realize your strength is nothing. You, the, the length and strength of your arms is like an anemic T-Rex. You can't even feed yourself. <laughs> You're always having to stoop. Let's look at this concept of foxes and hedges. The Bible presents the concept of passive judgment in terms of hedges of protections or walls of defense. Any calamity able to penetrate those defenses is referred to as a fox. And this is part of the larger allegory of God's people, be they Israel or the church, becoming, or excuse me, being his comely vineyard planted and protected by God with the wall of protection. So this whole notion of hedges of protection, a hedge is a, a, a agricultural term. It could be a hedge or a wall. And this was designed to keep animals away from the vineyard. Uh, vineyards are susceptible not for their fruit, but for their roots and for their, their vines. And the, the number one enemy of any vineyard is a fox. Amen. So let's look at Isaiah 5, 1 through 7, kind of lengthy. But the Lord says, Now I will sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved touching his vineyard. My well-beloved hath a vineyard in a very fruitful hill. And he fenced it. That is, vine, uh, hedge of protection. He, he, we think of a picket fence. They didn't have picket fences 14, 15, 1800 years ago. They had stone walls or hedges, and that was called a fence. And because we don't want to wait for thorns to grow up in a nice little hedgery, we do picket fences. And then Huckleberry Finn or Tom Sorry comes and pays you to whitewash them. Pay, you get to pay him to whitewash your picket fence. That book's supposed to be racist now, so I don't think we get to read it anymore. Buy a copy while you can because it's still a tremendous American literature. 
Just my little plug there. I'm really frustrated with the deconstructionist of modern academia. Amen. Deconstructionism. He planted it with choicest vine and built a tower in the midst of it and also made a wine press there. And he looked that it should bring forth grapes and it brought forth wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge, I pray you, between me and my vineyard. God says, judge me. And we're allergic to judging one another. God invites judgment upon him. He says, judge me. See, what, what more could I do? Tell me where I'm wrong here. That's bold for God to say, judge me. You can only say, judge me when you have nothing to hide. That's why the dirty Christian's favorite verse is Matthew 7, 1, judge not. Because they know they are filthy to the core. Perverts, full of the enemy and the flesh and compromise. Judge I pray you, between me and my vineyard, what could, I have, could have been done more to my vineyard that I have not done to it or in it? Therefore, when I looked that it should bring forth grapes, brought it forth. Uh, why then, when I looked that it should bring forth grapes, did it bring forth wild grapes? Or uh, the Hebrew says stink berries. And I, that's my favorite, one of my favorite Bible terms. Don't be a stink berry. <laughs> yeah. And now go to or consider I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will take away the hedge thereof, and it shall be eaten up, and break down the wall thereof, and it shall be trodden down. And I will lay it waste. It shall not be pruned nor digged. The word dig there means to have the weeds pulled out of it. But there shall come up briars and thorns. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah his pleasant plant. And he looked for judgment, but behold, oppression. And he looked for righteousness, but behold, a cry. He looked for fruit of the law of God in, his, in the midst of Israel, didn't find it. So God said, I will remove your protection. And he uses the giant allegory. You'll be eaten up. You'll be tread down. You won't be pruned. And wild thorns and, and, and brambles will grow up. And you'll just be judged by anything that can get to you. I won't fight against you. I'll just remove my protection. And you'll get to suffer at the hands of those all around you that you claim to, you want to be like. Do you know when you want to be a pervert, you get to die like a pervert? Consider the testimony of Balaam. He wanted so bad the reward of Balak that he compromised to get it, and he got to die with them. When you fellowship with perverts, you die with perverts. When you live like a pervert, you die like a pervert. Amen. You want to stay faithful to God to the very end. Psalm 80, verses 8, 9, and 12, New American Standard. Uh, the psalmist said, you removed a vine from Egypt, that is Israel, and you drove out the nations and planted it. You, cle uh, you cleared the ground before it, and it took deep root and filled the land. Why then have you broken down its hedges? Again, the allegory of a vineyard. So that all who pass that way pick its fruit. Here's an allegory that when the hedge is removed, people get to plunder a person, a nation, a church, a business. Psalm 89 Thou hast broken down all his hedges. Thou hast brought his strongholds to ruin. All that pass by the way spoil him. He is a reproach to his neighbors. Once again, we see God confirming or seeing through David that when you don't please him, when you turn away from God, when you and I sin against him and break his covenant, he has no obligation to hedge us, to fence us, to protect us. And it's not God destroying us in that season. It's everything rushing in that we really didn't know was being kept back. 
depression, suicidal thoughts, lack, unemployment, broken relationships, broken homes, poverty, sickness and disease, uh, your house gets robbed, all sorts of stuff. Now, any one of us can battle any one of those on a regular basis, and that can be an attack of the enemy. But we're talking when your hedge is broken down, it's the flavor of the day for you. Most of us, we deal with like one or two of those events maybe a year. We beat it. We move on. When your head is broken down, this is a constant thing. It's just wave after wave after wave of lack, hurt, harm, sickness. You can't sleep. You can't eat. You're a nervous wreck. You got to go to the world for help. Those are signs. God isn't fighting against you. He just pulled your defenses from you. I don't want that. I want God to protect me around every side. These three passages confirm that God's people are represented by a vineyard and that the vineyard's hedge or wall is God's divine protection. Should that wall be removed, what befalls the vineyard is described in these three passages as being eaten up, trodden down, overgrown with briars and thorns, picked fruit and spoiling. Another sign that God has removed the wall is his refusal to further prune the vine or weed the soil. When you and I get pruned by God, it's, his ev it's evidence that we're still protected. He said in John, those I love, I prune. You bear fruit, I prune you. One of the signs that God has just turned you over is that he no longer corrects you. Well, you can find that at any secret church this morning. You can find a church totally devoid of God with no protection. I wouldn't want to be in that church. I wouldn't want to attend it. I want a church. I want a word. I want a pastor. I want a congregation that will hold me accountable, prune me, tend me, point out my failings, and not be offended. The name of the game is fruit production. It's not ease. The problem with our culture today is we got idiots in college that think you have to kill a cow to get milk out of it. They have no idea the work it takes to exist, so everything is microwavable. And we, we, we apply that to our Christian walk. Uh, I think every American ought to go work in the farmland somewhere in a field and go work at a dairy farm and go process chickens and go realize where all this stuff comes from. You don't have to kill a hen to get eggs out of it. <laughs> Amen. But we think everything just, you just go and swipe a card and you get to eat. And we think the kingdom should be that way as well. And it's not that way. It takes work, seed time and harvest. You got to prune, you got to plant, you got to water, you got to cultivate, you got to go harvest. We want everything so easy and it just doesn't work that way. Satan can see hedges. And this thing I think is going to baffle your mind. Lest anyone want to argue that hedges strictly apply to Israel as God's covenant people. And I make that argument because I just heard it recently. That we can't look to the Old Testament to understand divine judgment because that was between God, Israel, and the nations around them. And I thought, you've not come over to the New Testament and realized these things were written for our example. Types and shadows. Lest we think hedges are strictly for Israel... There is an especially interesting reference to God's hedge of protection in Job. Job predates the existence of Israel as a nation by hundreds of years. So if we can see the concept of hedges of protection around a little nomad, a Bedouin named Job, who only knew God as Almighty, El Shaddai, and not Jehovah nothing, 
then we might have a, a biblical pattern. If we can get it before the covenant of Israel and then after the covenant of Israel, then we can line up three points and have a good spiritual principle. So here's the famous passage when Satan comes to present himself before God, which he still does because he accuses us before our father night and day. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not made a hedge around him and around his family, house, his household, and around all that he has on every side? Now that, I just saw that two weeks ago working on this, and I went, whoa, I know this passage, and, but now it's in a different light because I'm working on hedges. Satan is the one who could see it. Satan is the one who's saying, there's a reason Job fears you. You protect everything he has, and I can't touch it. I can't touch him. I can't touch his kids. I can't touch his stuff. And that's why he fears you, which, of course, is dead wrong. He has a hedge because he fears God. He doesn't fear God because he has a hedge. Satan is the one that sees it. Satan is the one helping us build doctrine here. And he's not rebuked for lying. Because it's a spiritual principle. And this is not a man in covenant with God. This is not a man that has an Abrahamic covenant or a Mosaic covenant or a new covenant. This is a Bedouin. This is a nomad. This is an Arab, if you will, who just met God Almighty somewhere on the backside of a sand dune and lived for him with be the best he knew how. And yet that fear for this God that he didn't have a single scripture, didn't have a single apparition, didn't sing a single theophany. He just feared God. And it just took the fear of God to begin to put protection around him so that Lucifer himself says, I can't touch the guy, his kids or his stuff. It says a hedge around everything he has. Thou hast blessed the works of his hand and his substance is increased in the land. Put forth thine hand now, or take away your protection. Touch all that he has, and he will curse thee to your face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. So what that implies is the hedge is now gone. It's beyond the scope of this lesson to understand why that hedge was able to be pulled down. But for whatever reason, God took the hedge away, and Satan had access. All that he has is in your power, only upon himself and put not forth your hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. And we know what happens is calamity, chaos, loss. It is evident from this, this text that Satan can see divine hedges and that they can hinder his ability to attack and harass God's people. But should those hedges be compromised, as they were in the case of Job, Satan is able to steal, kill, and destroy Satan noticed that there was a hedge around three things. Job, the household or family, and his substance. Same thing Ezra prayed for in the book of Ezra, that God, that it would go well for us, our little ones, and our substance. It's pretty cool. Because God cares about you, your family, and your stuff. I just wish I could convince cookful Christians to care about their stuff too. And not treat it like trash and let it rust out in the backyard. Satan only made one wrong observation. He said Job served God only because God had made a hedge for him. The truth is Job had a hedge because he served God. Once the, this hedge was removed, Satan had access to everything behind it. At first, it was, only, it was access only to Job's family and substance. Then it was Job himself. These hedges had 
to come down before Satan could have access. Satan used people, nature, and sickness against Job, revealing that all three can be harnessed by demonic power. Satan used a whirlwind and a fire to destroy half of his stuff, and he used two groups of people to destroy the other half of his stuff. So it lets us know that there are certain groups of people that can be moved upon by demons to attack believers, and not everything that's a whirlwind or a fire is God. And remember, Elijah was up on the mountain, and there was a whirlwind, but God was not in it. Satan was here. And then there was a mighty fire, but God was not in it, but Satan was here. That's the problem with us charismatics. We think everything that blows and burns is God. And it just isn't. And everything moving for us or against us, we think that might be God, and it just always is not the case. National hedges. Lest anyone want to argue that hedges strictly apply to Israel as God's covenant people, there's an interesting reference to Canaan's national protection in Numbers. Canaan, the pagans. Canaan, not Israel. Canaan, the pagans. How could it be that Canaan, filled with the premier pagans of the day, had a supernatural defense? Consider the exhortation of Joshua and Caleb when they attempted to encourage Israel. It says, if the Lord is pleased with us, then he will bring us into the land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land, for they will be our prey. Their protection has been removed from them. Canaan's protection has been removed from them. And the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Caleb and Joshua, speaking in agreement, say the same thing. Canaan no longer has protection. These fearless men of faith recognized that the inhabitants of Canaan had lost their hedge. This would have permitted anyone to conquer them. Joshua and Caleb recognized that between Caleb's defenses being gone and God being with Israel, there was absolutely nothing to fear and no possible way to lose. It wasn't enough that the hedge was gone, but God was for Israel. So this is like shooting fish in a barrel. And yet for all that, they still believe the slander. And that's why God was so incensed against it. Their hedge is gone. I'm with you. This is like nothing. And yet you still won't believe me. But it's evidence that even pagan nations have hedges of protection until the sin hits a certain point in a scale of justice when all of a sudden even God's mercy can't prevent them from being destroyed. There is a, a doctrine out there that says that basically before any world nation has been overthrown in the past, sins of that nation had to reach a certain point and then they were wiped out. And in modern times, it has become a, it's been a popular historical point to, 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 to point out that the fall of the Greek Empire, the fall of the Roman Empire, the fall of the Persian Empire, all these empires that were so great eventually were overthrown. They all had one thing in common, gross homosexuality and sexual purience and deviance. And God allowed those nations to arise to displace the previous perversion. And what did they do? They inherited the same sins until they were stomped out. Rome fell by the Visigoths. Is that right? Barbarians that couldn't even communicate. But Rome had become so perverse, public orgies, wanton homosexuality, greatest empire in human history, stomped out by a bunch of barbarians. Overnight, their defenses were gone. Not even the persecution of the Christians could stomp them out. 
It was their sexual sin. But that's what happened at Sodom and Gomorrah. They couldn't fail. This observation of Joshua and Caleb was a fulfillment of God's declaration to Abraham over 400 years prior. God told Abraham in Genesis 15, In the fourth generation, Israel shall come here to Canaan again. But it can't happen yet, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. So God promises Abraham, everywhere you're walking, that's Canaan land. And I'm going to give it to your seed, but it can't happen yet. Your seed will become great. At this point, he doesn't even have a kid yet. Your seed will become great. They'll go down into Egypt to a land that's not theirs. He doesn't name Egypt, but he says they'll go into a land that's not theirs. And they'll be evil and treated 400 years. And then they'll come out and they'll take this land and I'll give it to them. But I can't do it yet because the sin of the Amorites, the inequity, the lawlessness is not yet full. That, that alludes to the spiritual. It's like a window into the spiritual laws of, of creation that Sin just keeps ticking, 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 ticking until it hits a point and then judgment must happen. Thankfully, in the New Testament, the church can be sown as restraint and intercessory forces as God used Abraham to try to intercede for Sodom and Gomorrah. And of course, we know Abraham just did not intercede to a low enough number. And what God did was take the, per, uh, the righteous out so he could destroy the perverts which is one of the reasons, one of the lines of theory for a pre-tribulation rapture, God takes the righteous out so he can destroy the perverts. Because as long as the church is here, we're going to keep interceding. It's almost like the rapture stops the intercession so God can met out his judgment. That's a pretty cool concept. All right, you guys, as long as you ask for mercy, I have to give it. I don't want to give mercy anymore. So you won't stop asking for it because I got too much of me and you, but this has to be. So just shh. <laughs> We're going to keep the kids busy over here while I do this. <laughs> we see here the allusion to the same spiritual principle. Sin removes protection. I don't know who that's beeping. That's not me beeping. Somebody pinging their phone. Everybody's looking like, not me. <laughs> we got it. Like, not me. Even if it was you, like, oh, who was that? <laughs> Inconsiderate jerk. <laughs> sin removes protection. So the solution's easy. Just don't be sinful. Don't flirt with sinful people. You, you flirt and live with sinful people, you might die with sinful people. Yeah, you run with sinful people, you get their judgment. You run with people God's demoting, you get their demotion. That's why God told Moses and everybody, tell everybody to move away from Korah. And if they didn't move away from Korah, everybody got to go to hell alive together. Sometimes it pays just to shut up and trust the preacher. <laughs> it's one less decision you have to make. Whatever he says, I'm just going to do it. <laughs> Apparently, it was going to take the Amorites, the most prominent people of Canaan, and both Amorite and Canaanite are interchangeable terms. It was going to take the Amorites a few hundred years of sin to forfeit their national protection. 
There appears to have been a spiritually, a spiritually legal claim to Canaan that could only be nullified through the fullness of inequity. One of the things we'll look at next week in next week's lesson, we'll go through um, Leviticus 26 and Deuteronomy 28, and we'll see the kinds of chaos that God promised would come as nations turn against him and their hedges forfeit. And we're going to see that America has probably 60 or 70 percent of those judgments active in our culture today. And so when we say America is under judgment, we'd have to qualify that by saying passive judgment. We have, we have forfeited our hedges. We are a perverse nation. Billy Graham said in the 60s, 50s or 60s, if God doesn't destroy or judge America, he'll owe Sodom and Gomorrah an apology. That was America in the 50s and 60s. Yeah. What we've got to do is, again, intercede to stand in the gap of make up the hedge. That's what we have to do. Now, I kind of believe judgment pushes people towards God because when he smote them, then they sought him. Nothing like a backslidden Christian getting some kind of STD and rotten from the inside out to make them repent and cry out to God again. But you didn't ever have to get that STD and begin to rot and let your guts fall out with little black clots. Burn your uterus up, can't have babies. That's judgment. You brought that upon yourself. Nothing like something like that to make you call out to God. But why did you stop calling out to God? Horrific testimonies of repentance are wonderful, but the best testimony is you were raised in the house of God. We're trained up to serve him and never have any sin with which to be ashamed of. That's the best testimony. That's the perfect will of God. Thank God for great testimonies of coming out of drugs and perversion, but, but that's not the ideal testimony. The ideal testimony was mom and dad feared God. They honored God. God gave me to them as a baby. They raised me in the house of God, and I build upon their foundation and their generation. That's the ideal testimony. I don't... For some sick Instagram reason, we like showing off scars, even if we pull out the pocket knife and give them to ourselves. Some of you are so stupid, you're a spiritual self-cutter. And I don't know why, except maybe you got a little demon talking to you. Why self-cut spiritually? Sin will strip you of your hedge, and you don't know if you'll be able to recover from that fox. Make up the hedge, the purpose of preaching and intercessory prayer. Prophesying from captivity, Ezekiel often looks back at the failures that led to Israel's judgment. More insights concerning spiritual hedges are discussed as Ezekiel reveals that Israel's broken hedges should have been repaired by the prophets preaching against the national sins. Instead, the prophets falsely declared everything is okay when it is clearly not. And it sounds like Christian television and the seeker movement today. I'd also say it sounds like everybody coming out of Wheaton College and Fuller Theological Seminary, all the progressive arms of Christianity. Everything's okay. We need to do some social justice. <laughs> Hogwash on social justice. There's no power there. And if there's no power there, it means God's not endorsing it. And I am obligated to go with the Holy Ghost. If the Holy Ghost isn't there, there's no endorsement of God, which means it's a dead work, no matter how much you church it up and try to put some kind of cultural revolution on it. No matter how much you want to tell me to love my neighbor. 
The first commandment is love your God. Ezekiel 13, O Israel, the prophets are like the foxes in the deserts. Now remember, the number one enemy against vineyards is foxes because they eat up the vineyard. They ruin it at the root. Foxes aren't interested in grapes. They're interested in the sapling, uh, the, the shoots, and the vines. That's what foxes, that's just what they want. They dig at the roots. And this isn't a fox like our red foxes around. This is more like a desert jackal. If you look it up, maybe your modern translation. So it's a little bit of a different thing than what we're used to as a fox. This is also why Jesus Christ called King Herod a fox. You go tell that fox that I heal the sick and raise the dead for two days. And on the third day, I will perfect myself. He calls him a fox. He's quoting this kind of testimony saying, you're the worst thing moving against Israel. You're the problem with Israel. And Herod would have understood that insult. So all this hogwash about you shouldn't speak against the president. I preached against Obama and I preached against Trump. Trump's only a little better than Obama. Obama was totally anti-Christ. Trump's just vile. I just call balls and strikes. Obama whiffed out a lot, in my opinion. The dude was totally pro-Muslim and anti-Christ. At least Trump, who you guys know I'm not a big fan of, at least Trump said this week, churches are an essential business. They're essential to our fabric of society. And you governors that don't open up your churches, I'm coming for you. I went, well, I can agree with that. I'm not saying Trump is full of the Holy Ghost. I'm just saying he's way more pro-Jesus and pro-church than Obama ever faked it. So I had no problem preaching against Obama because he was a fox. The black church loved him, but he was their favorite color. That would make them racist. When you want somebody because they're your favorite color, that's racism. Absolutely. I know we're mostly white, but honestly, it's the truth. I, and I'll swing on anybody. It just, you got to love truth and judge things according to the word, not according to your favorite color. Right, honky? Corn, white bread? All right. I like to hit at that because sometimes it flares up in you and I got to fix you. All right. Where were we here? Oh, Israel, thy prophets are like the foxes in the deserts. You have not gone up into the gaps of the hedges, neither made up the hedge for the house of, for the house of Israel to stand in the battle and the day of the Lord. Because even they, the corrupt prophets, have seduced and led astray my people, saying, Peace, and there was no peace. And one built up a slight wall, and lo, others daubed it with untampered mortar. Or untempered mortar. What he's saying there is that they... they they built up a wall, but it wasn't even worth anything. It was a slight wall filling in a slight gap. They didn't do their jobs. The preachers were the problem. But notice that it should have been the prophets prophesying, calling Israel to repentance. And if they would have repented, the hedges would have built, built back up. But they kept inc uh, encouraging the sin. Oh, it's all right. We don't want any judginess. We're here to love. We're not here to judge. Oh, there's so much condemnation out there. We're not here to condemn. With well, this grace, grace, and more grace. It's okay. You're okay. I'm okay. We're okay. Who are we to judge? Just come as you are. Stay as you are. Go to hell as you are. That's the problem with America today. And so honestly, a lot of the problems with our hedges are the churches and the pastors. Instead of being likened unto watchmen that protect God's heritage, Israel's prophets are called foxes, the greatest of all vineyard nemeses. Hedges are opened by sin, but they can be repaired by preaching against those sins. 
And I'm happy to do that, to preach against your sin, to build up your hedge, because I can see the fox coming. I can see him nibbling at your roots. I can see your berries becoming stink berries, becoming raisins hanging off of a dead vine. And I can see the tremendous work that went into building your trellis and your framework. The problem is if we can see your trellis and your framework, you're fruitless. A good Christian, we can't see your trellis and your framework because it's covered with a beautiful vine and tremendous grapes. But when all we can see is the work that was poured into you and no fruit, then God has no problem destroying everything. The preacher's job is to bring about a repair to the hedge, not just through prayer. That's what we've always thought it was, was intercession. But part of the prophet's job was to point the finger and say, you're wrong, repent. You're wrong, repent. And through the repentance, the hedge was built back up. But Israel's worst problem was their prophets were profane. They wouldn't make a distinction between the holy and the profane. They just tickled everybody's ears and said, peace, peace. Like everybody on Christian television and some of those prophets you guys sent me videos of in the last couple months who said, I see by the spirit of the Lord that we're gonna, this coronavirus will be gone by Passover and we're going to have revival. Should I send you your video back to you? Because we don't have it gone and we're sure not in revival. We're seeing a greater movement against the church than ever before under Trump. I think the only reason there's not a civil war is because it's a Republican president right now and not a Democratic one. Because if a Democrat has done everything in the last three months that a Republican president just did, there would be gunfires in the streets. It'd be white hillbillies burning cities to the ground and not blacks. Their AR-15s and their NRA stickers and their don't tread on me, Gadsden flags. <laughs> See, I can swing on white people too. Got more ammunition in that magazine than you do teeth in your head. There, equal opportunity, racist offender. Hedges are opened by sin, but they can be repaired by preaching against those sins. Israel's prophets had strengthened the hands of the wicked that he should not return from his wicked way by promising him life. That is Christian television in a nutshell and the seeker-friendly movement. Promising the wicked and fortifying their hand by promising him life. God's not mad at you. He's not going to judge you. Oh, God is a God of love, and, and love is love, and love doesn't condemn, and who are we to judge? You're a fox. Because the hedge was broken down, Israel could not stand in the day of battle. And this was passive judgment. When you can't stand against your enemies, God is no longer with you. God's not fighting against you. Your enemies just get to own you. And you see an example of that in Joshua 7 with the failed battle of Ai. God said to, told Joshua, quit crying. Israel's committed a trespass in the holy thing. Judge yourselves. Be sanctified, and I'll be among you again. And so they found out Achan had stolen some Babylonian garments and some wedges of gold of Ophir and some shekels of silver and buried them in the floor of his tent. And that's why they'd broken down their own hedge by violating the tithe, the offering. Jericho is supposed to be a tithe. It is further evinced from Ezekiel's famous passage on intercessory prayer that spiritual hedges, number one, keep judgment and destruction at bay. Number two, are broken through sin. And number three, can be closed through prayer and preaching. 
after a long list of sin that includes conspiracy, theft, murder, dirty prophets, dirty priests, dirty princes, dirty people, profanity, blasphemy, witchcraft, and oppression, God revealed that Israel had a massive gap and destruction was about to march right through it. And this is where the famous passage comes in, Ezekiel twenty-two thirty. And I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it, but I found none. Therefore have I poured out mine indignation upon them. I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath. Their own way have I recompensed upon their heads, saith the Lord. And then you go on to chapter 23 and you find out, actually chapter 23 has some very vulgar language. And the Lord puts forth a parable and says, Judah and Israel, they are like virgins that went down to Egypt and played the whore and there their teats were bruised. There their breasts were grappled and fondled by perverts and they played the whore to the point that their nipples were bruised. That's the word of the Lord in Ezekiel chapter 23. Go read it for yourself. He said, because of that, Assyria gets to own you. You love playing the whore with Egypt and Assyria, they get to own you. No hedge of protection. They can't stand against them in the day of battle. And nobody would preach against their sin because they all wanted to grow a megachurch. Nobody would preach against their sin because they wanted to be on TBN. They wanted a book with their face on the cover. Because the hedge was broken down, God's indignation and wrath came upon Israel by means of Israel's enemies. Israel's final hedge broken. Near the end of his ministry, Jesus approached Jerusalem and wept over it. He prophesied the great city's demise, saying, If thou hadst known, even thou at this thy, thy day, at least this thy day, the things which belong unto your peace, but now they hid from your eyes. For the day shall come upon thee that thine enemy shall cast a trench about thee, encompass thee round, and keep thee in on every side. That's Rome coming, but that also describes the job of a hedge. To trench about thee, to compass thee around, to keep thee in on every side. Rome and General Titus could only do that if there was no divine hedge. And the enemies circle you where the head should have been. And they shall lay thee even with the ground and thy children within thee. And they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. It would appear that Jerusalem had forfeited her national and civic hedge, both her nation and her city. And less than 40 years from this proclamation, Jerusalem would be surrounded by the armies of Rome, not the protection of God. And the former is only possible if the latter has been compromised. So we see this pattern again and again and again of hedges of protection failing and it producing a passive judgment. And so the thing we've got to do is walk the circumference of our life and see where there might be a hole. As Song of Solomon says, it's the little foxes that spoil the vine because the little fox can find the little hole in your hedge, in your wall. So this, like I said, I think last week, all of this judgment should bring us back to the beginning of our cycles of judgment, which is self-judgment. If stuff starts happening to us, if we're losing favor, if we're losing health, if we're losing income, if we're losing uh, peace in our home, 
there's something that's broken down because this is not our promise from God. When a man's ways please the Lord, he maketh even his enemies to be at peace with him. And if all of a sudden you've got enemies knocking at the door, screaming at you, and, and sickness is on you, and you've lost your job, and your wife's disgruntled with you, your kids are rebellious, and you've got this goiter popping up on the back of your head, it might be time to maybe walk your circle, figure out what has fallen. Let's review the nature of divine hedges. Hedges are divine walls of supernatural protection. They allow for peace, provision, prosperity, and normalcy within those walls. And if somebody doesn't have any of that, don't hang out with them. Why would you fellowship with someone who lacks peace, provision, prosperity, and normalcy? Some folks are just addicted to the basket case puppy dog who needs help. Why, why would you be drawn to that kind of foolishness? Why bring stupid into your bosom? Hey, man, it's hard enough when you got God with you. You don't need somebody sucking God out of you sinfully. Amen. Somebody's always looking. For, I, let me back up. I, I know why, because I've pastored people like this. There's always, some, some people are always just looking for the, um, the needy project, um, the repair job. Because when you're looking to repair somebody, it makes you feel good. And it allows you to ignore the hell that's cooking in your soul. And it looks like good works, and it makes you feel anointed. It releases endorphins. You're just a little addict. And, oh, physician, heal yourself. A lot of folks date and marry the fixer-upper. And it's a money pit. <laughs> you don't fall in love with somebody you got to invest in. Marriage is not restorative discipleship. We call that missionary dating, and it's a sin, and it violates equal yoke theory. I could be an academic, just throw the word theory behind some idea. Get my PhD, equal yoke theory. It's not a theory, it's a spiritual law. Hedges are established around nations, tribes, cities, families, and individuals. Hedges are maintained through fear, righteousness, and obedience to God Almighty. Hedges hinder satanic attacks that manifest as both natural and supernatural events. Hedges are broken down because of rebellion and perversion. A broken hedge permits your life to be eaten up, your life to be trodden down, your life to lack pruning and weeding. Hedge, a broken hedge permits your life to be overgrown with briars and thorns. It permits your fruit to be picked by strangers. Ooh. It permits your life to be spoiled. It permits your substance to be attacked. It permits your family to be harmed. I told you uh, back in the first of the year when Abigail broke her arm on the hoverboard, one of the things we pray every day because our girls do gymnastics is that not one bone is broken. And the second she broke her arm, I knew instantly what I had done. I knew that morning that I had, I had pushed beyond my limit in my heart concerning a famous minister who was teaching heresy internationally to an audience Jesus Christ never had. And, and the video clip was sent to me by an international friend of mine who, who is developing their doctrine in their church. And they said, Pastor Chris, do you know this minister? I said, yeah, who doesn't? They said, would you take a look at this video clip and judge it for me? And I saw the video clip and I could have chucked my phone. And it, it just, 
it got in me sour. And the Lord dealt with me probably two or three times, back off and leave it alone. And I just, I couldn't. I could, but I didn't. And I knew that morning I had pushed something too far. And when Abigail fell and broke her arm, I knew instantly, this is me. This is me. This is me. Because even the fall she took shouldn't have broken her arm, her humerus right where it did. It shouldn't, she should have been able to catch herself. Just falling off a hoverboard, no problem. Something she's done a hundred times before, but she fell and just sheared the thing. But that morning I knew I'd, I'd done something spiritually. I'd opened up something spiritually I shouldn't have touched. And now I'm like, that person's not my prop, not my pig, not my farm, not my monkey, not my zoo. She'll answer to God. My kids are more important to me. Broken hedges allow your family to be harmed. And it may be why some of us lose kids. You can be in the pulpit and have holes in your hedges and demons in your home. Amen. Hedges can only be repaired through intercession and or repentance. Repentance is brought about by means of confrontational preaching and rebuking. And that's why I don't apologize for my messages because I really just, I used to, I don't care anymore. Because the harder I preach, either you stick around and change or you leave. Either way, it just gets better for me. <laughs> may we be ever mindful of the protective hedges God has built around us. And may we be diligent to fearfully serve God and maintain those defenses. Amen. Father, we thank you for this concept, this principle, this theory of passive judgment that we can so clearly see in the word. Show us all, Lord, where maybe our hedges need some fortifying. Maybe they've thinned a little. Maybe we've opened up the door somewhere. May we see that chaos, calamity, and lack of peace and provision creeping in or, or waning on us is an indication that we need to walk our perimeter, judge ourselves, and see where things have maybe grown a little wonky. Have mercy upon us, Lord, as we repair the fences of our life and protect those around us. We love you, Lord, and we trust you in Jesus' name. Amen.